Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Let me say this right up front. It's amazing to be a part of the expansion of the kingdom of God. I, Lee and I both can look back in our lives and basically recognize the major financial breakthroughs that have happened in our lives being directly connected to our participation in building funds. Most people are only afforded the opportunity of the, partic- of the particular church they attend. But Lee and I were afforded opportunities of actually dozens of churches because as we traveled, many of the churches that we started in back in the, oh, I guess the, the, the mid to late 80s and into the early 90s, many of those churches started in, in, in storefronts and in uh, 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 funeral homes. Uh, two different particular churches started in funeral homes. Now they own their own buildings. Amen. And so we were blessed to be a part of that. Many of, the, many of the churches that I taught and preached in over the years, I was blessed by God to be able to, uh, to, to take their initial building fund offering. Or even several of them, I paid off, came, God, uh, came and the Lord would put an anointing on me. I'd take an offering and pay off their building. And so we've been blessed to be a part of it. And I want you to know, it's not the intention of every church to grow. I, I know you may not believe that, but it's true. There are many denominations that are what I would call inclusive. You know, they want people that will come in and, and believe according to their particular uh, doctrine and, and uh, you know, pretty much uh, kind of turn into themselves. They're not involved in any activity that has to do with winning, king, uh, winning souls into the kingdom. How many know that's our main activity? I mean, we got to be busy about the master's business because you have to understand something, folks. If people don't receive Jesus, they die and go to hell. That's why God has raised up Island Church. Not, not every church even believes in the new birth. And then some even believe in the new birth, but they don't, they, don't go out, they don't go out and propagate it. They don't go out and preach it and practice it. Amen. You know, every week, just about every week, somebody will come forward and get saved. Or somebody will get saved in the jail ministry. Or somebody gets saved on one of the crusades or the street. Or somebody personally will lead somebody to Jesus from somebody here of those that come to Island Church. So it's important we as a church uh, be a soul winning church. Amen. So churches are unique. The only thing or the only entity that I recognize as a church is that which lines up with the book of Acts. I believe, I don't care, I know it's been 2,000 years since the book of Acts was written. But I don't believe anything outside of the perimeters of the book of Acts is a church. It may say church. It may have a steeple on top of it. It may ring a bell. It may even have a ministry. But if it does not, number one, go out and preach Jesus. And basically preach Jesus in such a way that Jesus is the answer to every problem of humanity. He's the answer for the person who is afraid of death and dying. He brings salvation. He's the answer when it comes to sin because the wage of sin is still death, folks. Amen. Uh, He's the answer when it comes to the empowerment of the believer with the Holy Ghost. He's the answer to health and healing in our body. The answer to financial prosperity. You know, I kind of got off on it in the early service. I don't want to do it this service. But I, I am amazed 
at people because one of the greatest criticisms that I hear outside the four walls of Island Church is that, quote, we preach the prosperity message. Now, I don't know if people have really ever experienced poverty. But if you've seen the poverty that I've seen in the nations that I've been in, amen, you, I guarantee you, you would be a believer in prosperity. Poverty is a curse. And all through the book of Acts, the church prospered. The church at Antioch, the church at Jerusalem, the church at Ephesus, Corinth, and Philippi. Those churches all prospered to the point that when a great famine hit Jerusalem, they gathered a large amount of money from all the churches and took it to Jerusalem. And the only people that were relieved of the famine in Jerusalem was the church. Isn't that amazing? So yeah, we do believe in prosperity. We believe that God desires to prosper. We believe that Jesus was made sin according to the scriptures. Was made poverty so that we through his, uh, so that we through his poverty might be made rich. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be a multi-millionaire. But it does mean that God will supply your need. Give you abundance and no lack. Amen. Uh, the church should be a place of evangelism. Should be a place in which we look not just around the community we're in. But we look beyond our own borders. You know, I, I still, my great desire, my great dream, that first, that first uh, year we can give a million dollars to foreign missions. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pressing. I said, I'm pressing. Last year, actually two years ago, we broke the $100,000 level. Before that, we would give, I think we started the first year, we gave fifteen or 20000 We maintained that for a couple of years. Then we upped it to, to, to $20,000, $35,000. Then we went over the $50,000 level. Uh, then we went over the $75,000. Then two years ago, we broke the $100,000. Last year, it was over $130,000. I'm believing this year we'll give $200,000 in missions. We're growing in those things. See, we're growing. That's the will of God for the church. And the will of God for the church is also uh, for it to be a place where you can be planted. It says in Psalms 92, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Listen, a lot of churches, there's a lot of churches in Galveston, on Galveston Island and in the surrounding that you can go to that will not put a demand upon you in any way. They won't say anything about money. They won't preach anything that deals with your character. Uh, they won't say anything that, uh, that will challenge you uh, to take the word of God and have change in your life. But we do that. So this is, a, this is a church where the enemy will try to come and try to uproot you, try to get you out of this, get you out of this experience. You say, why? Because if you're not rooted and grounded, how can you grow? Amen. And secondly, the church, the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the place of protection against deception in the earth. There's a lot of deception out there. There's a lot of what I call ill reality. It's just not reality. You must understand there are still things in our world today that are growing toward the, the sin and degradation and deprivation side where there are things that, that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago that, that, that were totally unacceptable in society. Now, it's just open with arms wide and accepted. You say, well, they're pastors, people, you know, the, the, the people have their own ways. No, no, sin is sin. I said sin is sin. And any church that backs away from that is fooling themselves. So the church should be a place of protection against deception. False doctrine. There's a lot of false doctrine that rises up. We just kind of weathered kind of a, 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 a sweeping move of doctrine that went through the body of Christ having to do with the subject of grace. 
which actually taught people that it's okay to play with sin. That it's okay to, 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 to maybe, you know, some of the, the, the things that, quote, the old church talked about being sin. Well, that's kind of okay because we all under grace. Listen, grace is not the ability to see how close you can get to sin and handle it. Grace is the ability to turn your back and totally walk away from sin. That doctrine swept through the church, didn't sweep through Allen Church. We saw it coming. We taught the right, the correct uh, uh, word of God, the rightly divided word of God when it comes to grace. But a lot of people fell for that, and a lot of people are suffering for it right now. You have to live for the Lord, folks. You have to live for the Lord. But now, here we are as a church. 90 to 95% of all of my teaching and preaching is geared to you as an individual, your individual faith, your individual revelation. Your individual authority that you have as a believer. But anywhere from 5 to 10% of my teaching is what I call corporate teaching or has to do with us as a whole, as a body. Amen. And now that we know because God puts the desire in us, the Bible says delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. So if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll place a desire on the inside of you. We know that as a church we have a desire, number one, to own our own. I thank God for this building. You, you got to understand, this building was a deal. Did you know we only pay 50 cents a square foot for this building? Now, when we took it, it took a million dollars to get it ready to go as a church. And then we had to rebuild it after Hurricane Ike. But still, we only pay 50 cents a square foot. That's a bargain. That's been a blessing. But here's something that I desire. is for all of the money that we have uh, to go into something we possess. And it is the will of God that we possess the land. God's got a place for us. God's got a place for us to raise up a building. God's got a place that'll give us an identity. We're still the church that meets at the old girlins. And we could, we could take this whole store over. We could take this whole block over. We could take this whole neighborhood over and have 100,000 people coming to Island Church and we'll still be the church that meets in the old girlins. You know that church that meets in the old girl's. <laughs> Amen. That's just the way people are. They locate you that way. But God's got a place for us, a place to go, a place to grow. Everybody say go, go. and grow. So it's we as a body. It will put a demand on us as a church. It'll put a demand upon you as an individual, as a family. But as we do, like I said earlier, it will literally, the promotion of God corporately, with God promoting the ministry, and when I say the ministry, I mean everything that's going on here, every facet of ministry from the pulpit preaching to the praise and worship to the administration of the church to the counseling ministry to the, to the, to the visitor's ministry to the, those that work with the audio and video to all of the children's and Sunday school and Kid Current and Teen Torrent and, and Gospel Island Tent Crusade and the, 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 the bus ministry, the jail, everything that we're doing, everything comes up. Everybody say comes up. Missions work, all of that comes up. We see it doing it. We see it happening right now. Now, that has a, man, a magnetic pull on you. You say, what do you mean? As we come up, you come up. Because we, we cannot come, out, come up without you coming up. Amen. So there are some principles and precepts, number one, that we must understand in the Word of God so that we can correctly function as a body in this particular phase. Because really, in, in the reality of the life of the church, these phases come and then they go. You say, what do you mean? We'll build, then we'll be in a new building. That'll be it. We'll be in another phase. This phase will lead, lead to a great phase of harvest. Let me say that again. This phase of building will lead to a great phase of harvest in the kingdom of God. That means people getting saved. People, maybe some of your loved ones. Some of your friends. 
People getting healed. People getting filled with the Holy Ghost. People finding out they're supposed to be a preacher or a missionary or something. I mean, all those good things that God does when a church grows and develops, that's what we're looking forward to. Amen? But in the meantime, we go through this process. It is a process of change. Everybody say change. Now, now when you say change, people don't like change. Whether you know it or not, uh, change is something that the human family resists. But God's family should not resist it. It ought to welcome change. You say, why? Because the greatest change is what? We will be changed in the moment of a twinkling of the eye. That's the rapture of the church. Now, if, if you fight change on every level spiritually, what makes you think you can go up in the rapture? You'll be hanging on to a pole with your feet up. In no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. <laughs> no, it all ends with a big change. So we have all the little changes. Change leads to transition. Everybody say transition. You can talk about change all day long, everybody feels good. But then when the transition starts, that's where the discomfort comes. Pressure. But here's the good news. God always uses that to elevate, to promote, to expand the kingdom of God. Jesus always gets lifted up and men get drawn unto him. Now understand this also, church. Everybody look this way. We are doing this by faith. Which means I'm believing God to pay every nickel in cash, every dime. You say, well, pastor, what if you have to go to the bank? We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But in the meantime, we're believing God to pay everything up front, everything by faith, everything in cash. Can anybody get an agreement with that? So when we do things like that, we understand that this is not a business process. This is a spiritual process. There is going to be some business involved. We've got, to, we've got to design the building. We've got to hire the builder. We've got to hire the contractors. We've got to pay the... There is a business element to that. And many churches are so caught up in the business element that they miss the spiritual element of what God's doing. But we're not going to miss it. Because when we walk into that building on that first Sunday and look around at all the beautiful things that God has put in that building, we're going to be able to lift our hands and say, look, not at what Island Church has done. Look, not at what Pastor Rusty and his faith had done. Look what the Lord has done. Look what God has done for Island Church. And we want every person in the community to see that. That the process itself will help them realize and help them understand those, if God wasn't with those people, there's no way they could have done that. I'm not talking about people that are, I'm talking about the, 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 uh, 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 the designer of the building, the, the contractor, the guy that runs a drag line out on the land, the, drives the bulldozer. When they see that building open and people walking up, they realize that's got to be God. That's, that God did that. God did that. Isn't that what you want? Yeah. Amen. Now, there are types and shadows. Everybody say types and shadows. We know that the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, for us, the Apostle Paul says, was given to us as an example. Everybody say an example. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the one in which we have a, the Bible says, a better covenant built on or based on better promises. Jesus is the head of the church. Now let me help you real strong. That's a real strong statement. Jesus is the head of the church. He said to Simon Peter, he said, Thou art Peter, which is a small rock, Petros in the Greek. But he said, Upon me, upon myself, on who I am, Petros, the rock of Gibraltar, I will build my church. So this is not really island church doing something. This is Jesus doing something. But Jesus has to have people that do what? Cooperate with him. Now in the, in the, in the, in the Bible, in the old covenant... 
God cut covenant with Abram who became Abraham. That's a blood covenant. Listen, I'm going to do some teaching on the blood covenant. We're in a blood covenant. Listen, we don't have a contract with God. We don't have a, we don't have a hand. We have a blood covenant. Our, our Americanized Western civilization minds do really not have a grasp on what blood covenant is. And I don't want to teach you. Let me give you a little example. Remember the two, David Livingston and, and what was Stanley's name? Uh, no, the Stan, uh, Stanley and Livingston, the guys in Africa. Livingston was the missionary. Stanley was the guy that went and looked for him, tried to find him. Now, now, David Livingston went all throughout Africa and only won one person to the Lord. Now, when Stanley came looking for him and found him, he was dying and basically commissioned Stanley to take over the missionary work and he opened the door for all of Africa to be preached. The largest, most fierce tribe in Africa had no understanding of this gospel they were trying to preach till they began to talk about the cross. And how on the cross, Jesus died and shed his blood. And when, and when they, the Roman soldier took the spear and pierced the side of Jesus, and the Bible says the blood and the water flowed out, that's the same ritual that many, many heathen nations use to pierce a steer. Israel did it when they pierced the, the, the red cap. They pierced it and the blood flows out. That covenant of blood is an all-inclusive Covenant, which means both parties of the covenant bring everything to the table. And you got everything I got, and I got everything you got. Amen? And when they understood that, they went, oh. And they got saved. And the king came to Stanley and said, I want to cut a blood covenant with you. And Stanley said, well, why should you cut a blood covenant with me? And he said, because if I don't, this whole continent will remain closed. But if I do, this whole continent will open and you can preach the gospel of the whole continent. So they both chose what's called a representative of the covenant. They both cut their, they cut their wrist and they mingled that blood. They put their wrist together and they dropped it in a, in a, in a wine goblet mixed with wine. And both this king and Stanley partook of it and drunk it. And those two people that they cut their wrists, they put gunpowder in there to create a raised scar as marks of the covenant. Now, the most precious possession that Stanley owned was a goat. Because he had terrible ulcers and everywhere he went he needed milk. Now, this king said... As one of the acts of the covenant, covenant, you've got to give me your best. And I want, you, I want your goat. That's where the term, somebody got your goat. Come, that's where that term comes from. Did you know that? That's where that term comes from. To get your goat. So that king got his goat. And then he brought out to Stanley this big spear. Big old tall, about an eight foot spear. And it had all this stuff wrapped around it. All this ornate stuff carved it. And Stanley thought for a moment. He said, I guess he got the better of the deal. He got my goat. I got his spear. But he did not know that that spear represented his authority. And so as he carried that spear throughout Africa, everywhere he went, when African tribes would see that spear, they would open the door for him. He would go in. Nobody ever stole from him again. Nobody ever harmed him again. There was never a threat made from him again. And where Livingston just started the work, Stanley went throughout all Africa and thousands of people were saved because of a blood covenant. Now, God cut that covenant with Abraham. He cut that covenant with Abraham. Circumcision was a sign on the human side. It was, the, it was an act. It was the blood act. Are you with me? 
And then out of Abraham came Isaac and Joseph. And out of them came Israel. And Israel, just as God said, they would went into bondage. And when they came out of bondage through the Passover and the blood on the doorpost, they went into the desert. It was not God's will that they spent 40 years in the desert. God wanted them in the desert, over to Mount Sinai, receiving the word, and off to the promised land. Are you with me? But something happened. In Kadesh Barnea, Moses sent out 10 spies. And the Bible, said 10, the Bible says 10. Everybody say 10. 10 came back with what the Bible calls an evil report. A report of doubt. A report of unbelief. Two of them said, hey, look, look, we're well able to take the land. We're well able. But 10 of them said we couldn't. So those 10 stopped the movement of over 2 million people. And cost them 40 years and cost them their life. But now in the meantime, this is, this, is, this is what's so awesome about God. He is so good. He loves you so much. He's so kind. He's so benevolent. He's so merciful. He didn't forsake them for 30 years. Oh, excuse me, 40 years. He didn't say, you're on your own. Do your best. See you in 40 years. After everybody dies off, then we'll, we'll see what we can do. No, no. He put, a, he put a cloud over them by day to keep them cool. He put a fire over them by night to keep them warm. Everywhere they went, provision. Every morning they got up and the manna was on the ground. He fed them. Their feet, uh, their, their shoes did not grow. Their, their, their clothes did not fade or wear out. Supernaturally, they, they, nothing. there was no pharmacy. There was no doctor. There was no this. There was no that. There was none of that. God took care of them supernaturally. And the problem is, we as a church, meantime, we look at that and we think, praise God, praise God. But that's not the will of God. It's not the will of God for God to take care of us in such a way that we need a miracle every day. Israel had to have a miracle every day. If the manna didn't fall, they starved. Are you with me? Now, you've got to understand, folks, God doesn't want you living by a miracle. Thank God for the miracle to pay this bill and that bill and this is But God, listen, God wants you to rise up to be a miracle, not to need a miracle. Let me try that again. God wants you to raise up to be a miracle, not to need a miracle, so that you can be someone else's miracle. Well, that 40 years went by, and that generation died in that wilderness. But now it came time. For the new generation to go in and possess the promised land. The Bible says that as the, as, the, as the priesthood, the Levites, begin to bear the Ark of the Covenant, as they stepped into the Jordan River, that the Jordan River at flood tide, that means at a time in which there had been a lot of rain, it was a time during the year in which there was a type of a, type of a monsoon season there, that there was a flood in the river, that God heaped that river up on itself. And here stood these two huge walls of water. And Israel marched over. Onto the other side. Now Joshua chapter 5. That's where it begins. Are you, are you there? Did I tell you that? Now notice Joshua chapter 5. Now notice this. It says it came to pass. When all the kings of the Amorites. Which were on the side of Jordan westward. And all the kings of the Canaanites. Which were by the sea. Heard that the Lord. Heard that the Lord. See they knew God was doing it. Heard that the Lord had dried up the rivers of Jordan. From before the children of Israel. Until we were passed over the other side. That their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. Their forward momentum, their change of direction. Now notice this. For years they had wandered in a circle. Round and round. You ever felt like you're going round and round? Man, I wish I could get off this carousel. For years they'd gone in a circle. Many churches do that. They'll go round and round. 
They'll go around, never really finding a place of effectiveness. Well, they went around and around, and then all of a sudden that stopped. And all of a sudden the word went out, hey, the children of Israel are moving in another direction. And they're coming across the Jordan by a miracle. God brought them forth. Their forward activity, their momentum in what they were doing gave a revelation. Everybody say revelation. It gave a revelation to their enemies. What was the revelation to their enemies? Ain't nothing you can do, buddy. Ain't nothing you can do. They're coming to get your land. They're coming to get your farm. They're coming to get your, yeah, they're coming to get your good soil. Uh, they're coming to get your giant food. God told them he would give them a land that flows with milk and honey. And they're coming to get it. Now the Bible says when those kings understood that, that there was no spirit in them anymore. You say, what do you mean? It took out of them that, that, that resistance. Now, they didn't, they didn't possess without a fight. But every one of those kings know, even though, that I, even though I may fight them, even though I may bring war against Israel, I'm going to lose. There's no fight. There's, there's no win in this fight. Well, I want you to know, there's some devils quaking in their boots right now. There's some spirits around this area. There are some principalities, powers, rulers of wickedness in high places, spiritual wickedness in the darkness that have kept this island locked up and bound up, that have destroyed it physically, that have brought all kinds of immorality and graft and corruption, that all kinds of stuff has gone on on this island. And those demon forces right now are shaking in their boots. Because now there is a church rising up that's doing what? We're, we're kind of crossing the Jordan and proceeding toward the city. And it's not saying, well, they're going to get mad and they're going to fight. No, their spirit is going to leave them. They're going to recognize they are defeated because of what Jesus did in redemption. And that defeat is fixing to get demonstrated on a level that it's never been demonstrated on this island before. That's exactly what happened in Israel. Now notice what it says here. Verse 2 says, At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives, everybody say sharp knives, and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Now this act of circumcision also included a rehearsal of the word of God. A rehearsal of the promise of God. So they were performing a covenant act. And the Bible says this circumcision, which is what is defined as the cutting away of the flesh. Now, the Bible says the Word of God. I'm going to say the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says the Word of God is quick, is powerful, is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides that which is of the spirit, that which is of the flesh, and that which is of the mind, the soul, the emotions, and the will. And I want you to know when God gets us moving, He starts working in the camp. Everybody say in the camp and outside the camp. You say, what do you mean? Outside the camp, demons are trembling. Outside the camp, devils are freaking out. Outside the camp, God is lining up favor and blessing and doing all kinds of things. Inside the camp, God is cutting on us. A lot of people don't like that part. You say, why? Mo, God wants us to have the character necessary not just as a pastor not just as an usher not just as a praise and worship leader not just as somebody that works in the nursery God wants us to have a have the character to be who he wants us to be when he when we get to where he wants us to get to Woo! when you realize that you all you say cut on me Lord 
Cut on me, Lord. Whatever of the world, the flesh, the devil, just cut it out of me. Whatever stops you from moving in my life, cut it out. Cut out religious ideas. Cut out sin. Cut out, cut it out, cut it out. Everybody say, cut it out. Now, notice, go down to verse 8. I don't want to go through all the circumcision part, but let's look at verse 8. It came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people, I love this part, they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. Ooh, glory to God. You say, what do you mean? Man, in the camp. Everybody say, in the camp. There was a place for every person. You missed a good opportunity to shout. You say, what do you mean, pastor? In the church, there's a place for every person. It may take you a few days. It may take you a few weeks. It may take you a few months. It may take you a few years. But if God has planted you here, and you know God has set me in this church, you just stay with it. You just stick with it. God will put you in your, in your place, and he will cause wholeness to come into your life. The problem is the enemy knows that. That's why he wants to get people out of the camp, out of the camp. Because he knows if he can get you out of the camp, he can stop the process that brings wholeness. What is wholeness? It's the complete assembly of parts of your life put back together the way God wants it. Healed in your body, blessed in your mind, blessed in your finances, a purpose in life, a destiny where you lie on your deathbed after 90 or 100 years and you look back and you say, look what the Lord has done. I really lived a life worthy of Jesus Christ. That's what God wants for each and every one of us. But you got to abide in your place, in the camp. And he's always trying to mess with the camp. But I notice this. And the Lord said unto Joshua, now notice, they begin to move, movement begin to take place, circumcision happened, they're abiding in the camp to their hole, and then the Lord said unto Joshua, he said this unto the leader, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt off of you. You know what that is? That's go back mentality. That's go, oh pastor, I, I, I love coming visiting now, but the church got a little too big for me. Now, I came over on 45th Street, and I came when y'all was over. But, you know, once the church gets above about 50, 60 people, then i got to go find me another church. That's a reproach. That's a go back. You say, why? Because God, listen, God, God wants us to be growing as a body. He wants us to flourish as a body. You say, well, Pastor, uh, you, you really believe, God, that we'll have 1,000 members one day? I believe it will happen very shortly. We've got six to 700 coming now. We're getting close to that, closer to that every day. I'm believing God will have 1,500, we'll have 3,000, and we'll continue to grow till Jesus comes back or the next generation takes over. You say, why? Because the kingdom of God is always moving, always advancing in righteousness. Because one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000. What can 1,000 do? Let me just say something. I'll say it from the pulpit. I'm not ashamed to say it. An 1,000-member church on Galveston Island will radically change the spiritual atmosphere of this church. I mean, of this city. This whole city will radically change because of a church like that. And it will in Jesus' name. You need to get the go back mentality out of you. There's nothing, listen, there's nothing for you in yesterday. There's nothing for you. What's for you is in your tomorrow. It's in your today. Press toward tomorrow. Press into your today. Yesterday is gone. Let it go. Let it go. Thank God for the revivals of yesterday. The moves of God of yesterday. What happened yesterday. But get healed of the hurts of yesterday and don't go back to Egypt. He rolled that reproach off of them. 
Now notice verse 10. How's my time? I'm doing good. Said the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal. I like this. They kept the Passover. They celebrated their coming out. Listen, every day we get together, every time we get to church, get together, as we ought to celebrate our coming out. Every time this, our, our beautiful praise and worship team, every time they strike up the band and start those praise songs, you ought to think of what you come out of. You ought to think where you'd be, but we're for the grace of God. You ought to think how God brought you out of drugs and brought you out of alcoholism, brought you out of poverty, brought you out of pride, religion, prejudice, whatever he brought you. You ought to just celebrate your coming out. They're celebrating the Passover. But now notice this. It says, the children of Israel and Captain Gilgal kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, even in the plains of Jericho, and did eat of the old corn of the land. And on the morrow, Passover, and, the, on, the, and on the morrow, after the Passover, unleavened cakes, parched corn in the selfsame day. Now notice verse 12. And the manna ceased on the morrow, after they had eaten of the old corn of the land, neither had the children of Israel manna anymore. But now notice, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Cana that year. Now here's what happens. They, they, they're celebrating the Passover. Everything's good. Everything's good. Circumcision's over. Everything's good. You know, that men's ministry was kind of tough. <laughs> that men's meeting, amen. <laughs> But we, we, we're whole now. Everybody say, we're whole. And now, you know, we're celebrating Passover and we're singing our songs. And so Passover's over. That, that's a week celebration. We get up in the morning, come out with our little manna pots. And there ain't no manna. I, be, I bet, just like there is right now. I bet there was a, hmm. I bet it's that pastor. I bet it's that preacher. Joshua, because everybody's looking at who? Joshua. I bet Pastor Joshua, he done got into some trouble. Because if he wasn't in trouble, we'd have had that manna. Because we've had manna ever since we've been around. Because that generation, the other generation that died in the wilderness, this generation knew nothing but manna. But now here's what God does. Oh, everybody say change. change. Transition. Transition. Blessing. Blessing. God will cut the manna off. You say, why? He don't want you living by manna. He don't want you needing a miracle every week just to make it. I saw a deal. We were watching the news last night, and, and Oprah, Oprah, uh, Win, what's her name? Winfrey. She was, she was, she's doing a, a, a kind of like a town hall meeting called From Paycheck to Paycheck. Did you see that on Paycheck to Paycheck? And, and, and you know, she, in her, in her investigation of this, she has determined that many of the families of America, that if they were to miss one paycheck, they'd go into poverty. A flat tire that would cause them to miss work a day and maybe get fired from their job, they'd go into poverty. We can't live on that edge, folks. We can't live on that. Uh, you know, I thank God for Oprah and what she's going to help, help people do. But listen, we've got a God. We've got God. We've got a covenant-keeping God. And they had a, they had a God, uh, that their God at that time, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, their God. And listen, he responded to them by the blood of bulls and calves and sheep and goat. We've got the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got a better covenant based on better promises. We should not have to live on the manna of yesterday's move. We ought to believe God and believe God for what? Corn. Now here's something unique. Manna was what? 
Here's the instruction to Moses. Have them gather as much as they need, five days. No more, no less. Because anything, that, anything over will be eaten of worms. On the sixth day, gather twice as much. That will carry you through the Sabbath. You ever read that in the Bible? So, they were used to, they were programmed to that. But the problem with manna is that you can't plant it. You say, what do you mean? When God begins to transition you, when God begins to move you out of a manna mentality, when God begins to move you out of a place where you think you've got to have a miracle every day just to survive, God will stop the flow of manna in your life. Should I say that, Lord? If you come to the end of your welfare, of your section eight, let it go. Let your manna stop. I know that don't go over big, but I teach you enough prosperity around here where if you'll tithe and you'll offer, then you'll put your feet down and trust God and say, I'm not going to live as a welfare recipient. I'm going to live as a man or a woman of God. God will back you up with all the wealth of heaven. Let your manna stop. I know that's not very popular preaching in this day and hour. Because many of you, that's all you've been geared to your whole life. You go out there on the 1st, you go out there on the 15th. God's got something better. God's got seed. He wants to put in your hand, and he's got a place where you can sow it, where it's going to come back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He took away the manna, yeah, yeah, but he gave them what? Corn. Good thing about corn is you can eat it, you can make cornbread out of it, you can make corn tortillas out of it. Amen. Then you can take it and you can put it in the ground. And corn will come out of the ground. What was God telling them? God said, listen guys, manna is over. Manna mentality is over. Living from one miracle to the next miracle to the next miracle. That's over. I'm bringing you into a land that flows with milk and honey. I'm going to put seed in your hand, but I'm not just going to put it in your hand. I'm going to give you a place to plant it where it's going to come up and it's going to grow. And the fields will be full of corn and you'll have all you need. You'll be buying corn, selling corn, eating corn, trading corn. Corn will be everywhere. Everybody say everywhere. That's exactly what God wants. Now, now let me stop and then I'll close. Let me stop then. That's pretty good. I have to remember that. Look at the zenith. The zenith, the climax of this covenant. Not the covenant we're in, the covenant they were in. The zenith of this covenant. Now remember, this is a covenant. Cut with the blood of bulls, goats, and sheep. At their height, which would be the end of David's life, the beginning of Solomon's life, Israel was the richest nation that the world would ever know. There was more gold, there was more silver, there was more jewels, there were more precious than any other nation would ever know. Not only that, they were so strong as a people that one soldier could kill 800 men. You ever read about David's mighty men? One soldier could kill 800 men. One soldier could stand one piece of ground over a little patch and fight off an entire army. One could put a thousand to flight. Two could chase 10,000. They were mighty. They were strong. They were wealthy. They were supernatural. And God has called us not to mirror them. God has called us to be greater. 
because the latter house is always greater than the former house. And we struggle trying to pay bills and afraid of this and afraid of that. God does not want that. He wants the good circumcising knife of his word to cut all that doubt, all that unbelief, to cut out that intimidation for us to rise up as the men and women of God we are and put off the man of mentality and say, okay, God, here we go into the greater things of God, into the greater anointing, greater blessing. Put corn in our hand and give us a place to sow it. Now, let me close with this. I'm honest that time. Now, notice this. Verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, they lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there stood a man. Everybody say a man. Over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went unto him and said to him, are you for us or against us? You for us or for our adversaries? He said, no, but as the captain of the host of the Lord, I'm now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And said unto him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now we know that Moses, almost a, a, a mirror thing happened to Moses. Almost a, a light thing. Moses, it was a burning bush, and he said, take off your shoes for the place where you stand is holy. Now, here's Joshua. Now, let's think just for a moment about Joshua. Moses had died. Joshua's now the pastor of the church. He's got over 2 million members. Now, they're moving. Yeah, they're moving. But, you know, there's been a couple of things that have happened that, that, that probably were weighing pretty heavy on, on Joshua. First, that circumcision thing. Yeah, that was a tough one. Then the manna stopped. And, you know, I guarantee you, just like we said earlier, there was that murmur. Why'd the manna stop? Why'd the manna stop? Why'd the manna stop? I don't know. I kind of like that manna. Well, you've been complaining for 39 years about it. Now it finally stopped. Amen. Well, the manna stopped. The manna stopped. The manna stopped. So Joshua, he just kind of walks out of the camp. He kind of needed to get, you ever felt like you needed to get away? So he just kind of got away. He's looking over by Jericho. And there stands a man. And he's standing like this. He's looking at Jer Jericho with a sword out. So he walks up to that man and he says this. Hey, buddy, you for me or against me? And actually, if you study it in the Hebrew, this captain of the Lord's host, who we know is pre-incarnate Jesus. You say, why is that? It's not an angel because men in that covenant nor in this covenant, we do not worship angels, neither did they. Joshua called him Lord and bowed down and worshiped him. And this being let him. So we know that was pre-incarnate Jesus. So he makes this statement. Joshua says, are you for me or against me? And this captain of the Lord's host says this. I've not come to take sides. I have come to take over. And he said, now here's what you need to do. You need to take your shoe off your foot for the place you're standing is holy. I bet he kicked that shoe off pretty quick. Now in our mind and in our mentality, See, we, we, we're not, we've not been taught Jewish custom. We've not been taught anything about the way they did things back in those days. But, but the feet have a very significant representation, even to this day, to Jewish people. How many of you, has anybody ever been to a Jewish wedding? Have you noticed what they do at the end of a Jewish wedding? They take and they put in, a, 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 I guess, a, a napkin, the, the, the glasses, and they stomp on them with their what? Feet. And what do, what do they say? Mazel tov. Now that act right there is a covenant act between the husband and the wife that are being married. 
That act says this. If you go study their tradition, it says the husband is saying, all that I am, all that I have, all that I ever will be, I give to you. The wife is saying, all that I am, all that I have, all that I ever will be, I'll give to you. And they wrap it up and they put it and they stomp on it with their feet. They don't hit it with a hammer. They don't do nothing like that. Now remember the woman, the prostitute. She came into Jesus. Jesus is ministering and she fell down where? She fell down at his feet and began to wash his feet with her tears. Amen. And everybody got mad except Jesus. Jesus said, you don't know, you, you, you don't know what this woman's doing. She knows what she's doing. I know what she's doing. She's anointing my, there was what? There was a, 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 a foot manifestation, something going on there with the feet. Who was it? Uh, uh, Boaz and Ruth. Where Naomi told Ruth, she said, now you go and you lay at the and uncover his. See what I'm saying? He went to the, he, uh, he went where, where in Moses' day and the bushes burned and said, take off your shoes from off your feet. So if you study and study, where did the 10 lepers? I mean, I could go on and on. 10 lepers came and fell down at his feet and worshiped. Now, you must understand that the feet to the Jewish people are a place of exchange. That's where exchange takes place. And Joshua's going, I ain't got this. I ain't got this, God. All these people, they're yours. All these people, I, I'm telling you. I mean, we've, we've, we've circumcised. We've, we've, the manna has stopped. Now Jericho stands walled in front of us. I, 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 I can't do this in my own strength. I can't do it. And God says, I know you can't. That's why I'm here. I'm here to take your weakness and give you my strength. No wonder when Jesus washed the feet. See, we think that was a great act of humility. No, that was a covenant act. When Jesus knelt at the feet of every person at that last supper and washed their feet. And Peter said, no, no, don't wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, what? If I do not wash your feet, you have no place in what I'm fixing to do. And he said, wash my hand, wash my hand. He said, no, your feet are shoes. He was saying, I'm fixing to exchange. I'm fixing to bring salvation. I'm fixing to die. They're going to put, they're going to put nails in my feet. My blood is going to run. There's going to be an exchange. I'm going to take your unrighteousness and give you my righteousness. I'm going to, I'm going to take your iniquity and give you my holiness. I'm going to take your sickness and give you my health. I'm going to take your poverty and give you my prosperity. I'm going to take your depression and give you my joy. I'm going to take your hell and give you my heaven. So there's Joshua and God says, no, no. I'm fixing to exchange with you. I'm fixing to give you my strength. And if you'll study the rest of the chapter and the rest of the verses, you'll see that God says, Here's my plan. Now, Joshua was a military man. He'd won many battles all the way back. You can go all the way back to Deuteronomy, Exodus 17. Excuse me, Exodus 17. He won battles. He was a military man. But God says, now you've got my strength. You're going to do it my way. Here's how we're going to take Jericho. And that's how they took Jericho. So when you realize that's where God brings us as a people, corporately. He brings us to a place of what? When we look at a situation, we say, there's no way. That's impossible. Millions of dollars. How can that happen? And God says, just take off your shoes from off your feet. 
and I'll give you mercy and I'll give you grace and I'll give you favor and I'll give you blessing and you just walk, walk a little here, take another step, take another step, take it and things start happening here, things start happening there. Next thing you know, God begins to put it all together. Next, just like he did to this building, just like he did to the little building on 45th Street, that was an exchange. We didn't have the ability, we didn't have the money, God did it anyway. We came here, didn't have the ability, God did it anyway. God always brings us to a point or a place of exchange in our lives. And when that happens, get ready. Supernatural things are going to happen. They're already happening. Supernatural provision. Supernatural blessing. Supernatural increase. God, listen, we, we said this. The Lord gave me that in the spirit. And I made the statement of it at our Christmas banquet. We are not building the church for ourselves. We're building it for the people that have not come. That have not heard. That don't know. They need to know that there is a God in heaven that loves them. That he sent his son and he died for them. And he brought all of the provision that man would need down here on this wretched fallen planet so that we could live that overcoming life he's called us to live. He's given it to us. And this building is sitting here as a testimony to you. That's why we've opened the doors and we say, come. Every color, every race, Every religious background. We're not a non-denominational church. We're an all-denominational church. Every background, every whosoever that would dare call on the name of the Lord, come. As Jesus said in, in John 21, come and dine, the master calleth. And that's what we're doing. And that's what we're in right now. So here's the thing. Today, this is our, our first Rise and Build Sunday. So we're going to receive the offering this morning. In the light of what we've just taught, light of just what we've just said. We do not look for, for, you know, everybody to give an equal amount, just an equal heart toward doing that which God has called us to do. I've made, I don't ask anybody, I'm not the kind of guy that, you know, I've been in church, who'll give a thousand, who'll give, I would never embarrass anybody with that. I don't know why people do that, but they do. I don't. But I, as your pastor, have made a commitment to give $100,000 toward this progress. And I think the last time I looked, I've given $28,000 already. And we haven't even swung a hammer yet. But see, by faith, now doors are opening for me to go and do conferences and preach and play. You know what they do uh, when we go preaches? They give us offerings. Where do those offerings go? Right into the church. They could go into my pocket, rightfully so, but not during this phase. Not during this time. They go right into the church, right into the building fund, right into what we're doing. So I'm out there. I'm after that $100,000, and God said he's going to do what? Exceedingly abundantly, above all I can ask or think. So all we ask for you to do is to do what God's dealing with you. To do it. Whatever he says to you, just obey God. You say, well, Lord, I don't know if I could do that. Then don't if there's a question. We tell people all the time, don't give in fear. Give in faith. So if, if you say, well, God's put some great sum of money on my, my heart and I don't know if I can. Just hold on to that. There'll be other offerings. There'll be other times. Don't let that torment you. And don't you dare walk out of here feeling condemned. We'll have, there'll be many other building fund offerings between now and the time we walk into the building. That's fine. As far as amounts, whatever God tells you to do. We don't look and see, well, this person gave this much and this person gave that much. You can't do that because that'll prejudice you against people. We want to be able to minister to the person that gives a million dollars with just as much zeal as the person that gives a dollar. Because that person that gave a million might have millions of millions and that person that gave a dollar might have had only one. That's why I don't look at offerings. I look at people. Amen. So whatever the Lord would have you to do, 
That's what you do. Amen. If you give them by cash, lift your hand up. They'll bring you an offering envelope. Can I read our confession? Instead of making our weekly confession, how about that confession the Lord gave me? Is it okay to read that before we receive the offering? Brother Frank, you can come to the keyboard if you will. Praise God. Listen to this. You know, now, uh, does everybody have one of these? Do we have some more out there? There's some more out there. So if you've not got one of these, please get one. It's called A Season to Build Island Church. It's got all the scriptures the Lord has given me in the last three years of praying and seeking the Lord. So out of those scriptures, I just spent some time in prayer and wrote a confession. Y'all want to hear it? Because this is what I want you guys to confess over this, this process in our life. Listen, we're doing this supernaturally. We're not doing this naturally. We're doing, that means we're doing it by faith. That means we're believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth, and possessing what we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. Praise God. Let me read it. It begins like this. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for including us in the expansion of your kingdom. By confessing your word and acting upon the faith it produces, we fully expect to receive your provision as your plan unfolds. We declare your favor is upon us as your sons and daughters rise and build. We proclaim nothing is impossible with you. We wait on the Lord and keep his ways. We will inherit the land. Being guided by the integrity of your heart, we declare it is not our ability to build, but your divine blessing that manifests as you cause this vineyard, which you have planted to produce fruit. We know the God of heaven will prosper as we arise and build. We are so thankful that you, Heavenly Father, spared not your only son, but you will also with him freely give us all things. You do supply all of our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We are fully persuaded that what you have promised, you also will perform. We confess Jesus is the head of Island Church. He is the author and finish of our faith. He is the one who planted, who has planted this faith in us. And he is the one who will bring it to pass. For it is not by might nor by power, but by his spirit we are empowered to do this. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the land, the building, the parking, the landscape. Thank you for, thank you for all the equipment, the furnishings necessary to function as the church you've called us to be. Thank you for favor with current property owners, city contractors, Vendors, builders, design companies, banks and lenders. We covenant to launch out in faith, build and receive in faith, and to do it all with joy and confidence. We row all the care. We row all the care. So I said in a burden. We row all the care of this project onto the Lord. We walk in patience and love, believing God that the process itself will bless and draw people into the kingdom. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for grace where our faith is operating. Mercy where we make mistakes. Divine favor to start, stay with, and finish this assignment. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for a property that will reflect your glory and be a tool to reap a great harvest. Hallelujah. Oh, I believe that's a word from God. Lift your hands up and worship the Lord now. Father, we worship you. Lord, we glorify your name. Lord, we exalt and bless you. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy that's upon us. Father, we gratefully acknowledge that you've put this in us. As a church, we covenant with you to be your hand extended, your voice amplified. Lord, as we go and rise and build according to that which you've called us to do. Now, Father, we thank you that as we take care of all that we need to do in the natural, you take care of the spiritual part. Every gift given today, Father, as they sow into the building of the house of God, you build their house. You bless their house. You increase their house. You show us openly and plainly, Lord, 
that this is of you in every area. We fully expect, Father, for businesses to explode with activity, for, for, for raises and bonuses and increase, for those that, not ha- that do not have a job, for them to find a job, for the, for the power of poverty and, and welfare and entitlement to be broken off of every person. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.